I'm turning on the grill. Beep, boop. That's not the sound the grill makes. Hey, everybody, and welcome to License to Grill, a Bob's Burgers podcast brought to you by the Ultimate Tabletop Network. I'm your host, Sal Zane, and with me is my partner, Kim. What makes us different from other Bob's Burgers podcasts is we're not only going to talk about all things Bob's Burgers, but we will also grill up the burger of the day. So let's get on with the episode. All right, so we are on episode Deuce, or uh, season one, episode two, Crawl Space. It originally aired on January 16, 2011. It was written by Lauren Bouchard and Jim Dotrieve and was directed by Kyung Hee Lim. The synopsis is, Paul gets stuck in a wall while trying to repair a leak in the roof. It has a rating on IMDb of 8.1 out of 10. So a small improvement from the first episode. Well, that's what we're aiming for, right? We're looking to increase the positivity of each episode as we go. Yeah, I'm kind of curious as to how things are going to progress. I don't really live or die by IMDb scores, but I'm always interested by how people see the episode. I do think it is a bit of an improvement from the first episode. Oh, yeah. A lot more character work, a lot more interesting uh, character foibles. Yeah, you get to learn a lot more about the characters. And I think in this one especially, you get to learn a lot more about the kids. So the episode starts with the intro, per usual, our favorite little ukulele number we see the building next door building next door is trot's all-natural fertilizer that starts out the poop jokes pretty much immediately for this episode the and the extermination van is uh, one we've seen before rats all folks yeah it's the same one from the first episode which is a little curious well it's, i mean a lot a lot of tv shows do that where they take a little while to get running on their jokes and maybe they were really focused on the episode as a whole and uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how many more times we'll see repeats of stores and exterminator vans yeah i don't usually think about that when i'm watching it i just usually ha 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 that's a reference to the looney tunes or ha 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 that's a reference to whatever it may be terminator i don't really think oh yeah that was in episode four of season six interestingly enough the simpsons started doing that when they had shorter episode lengths they had certain openers that were a certain lengths so that they could fill in the time like when you see a full opener from oh the simpsons and they go through the whole thing you know it's going to be a shorter episode but if it's jumped straight into the car into the garage Longer episode, shorter title. Oh, I didn't know that. That's actually really interesting. The thing I like about this episode is that you, this is when you first get to learn that the Belchers live upstairs above Bob's Burgers. You don't see them. The first episode is entirely in the restaurant and downstairs. And so it opens up on Bob and two of the kids having breakfast while Linda is cleaning furiously around them. Well, you know, my, my family did a lot of that too. When we knew that family was coming over, my parents would recognize how often we just stack papers or put things on any flat surface it would just be this sudden hustle of gotta hide everything gotta find a spot for everything why is this here why did you leave this here okay i left that there six months ago and you didn't notice until someone's coming over so is it really a problem i also think there's like this pressure to let your folks know that you're doing okay and your place looking nice is an indicator of that i have this thing that if my mom comes or like generally people i'll clean certain things that i probably wouldn't normally care about just because it's like oh no I don't want people looking in the medicine cabinet and seeing some dust 
must I must clean behind it. You know, I, I get that for weird stuff. You probably don't want to have five bread makers on the counter. But I always felt like this is how you live and they should kind of get used to seeing how you actually live and not the presentation that you're putting on a show for them about. Yeah, that's true. But I always feel like parents internalize everything. So if they come in and I my house looks like a uh, you know, pig pen, they're going to be like, oh my God, my kid's a pig. How did I raise a pig? I'm not a pig. I'm not a pig. My house is very clean because my mom is very hyper-focused on cleaning. So I saw my mom a lot in into this episode. I feel like a social pressure. Before you moved in, I would clean the house top to bottom every night before you came over. So I get it, Linda. I get it. I get it. And of course, nobody's helping. Gene is, you know, sampling him, chomping down on his breakfast cereal. Louise is pretending to have seizures and spilling cereal all over the place. And then sure enough, our Tina introduction is her tripping all over the pots that Bob has left out because there's a leak in the roof and my guess is water is everywhere you know the cereal and all the sampling piano gets left on the table even after the family starts showing up i like what bob says about linda being in a crazy cleaning frenzy like animals before an earthquake <laughs> it's a very vivid i like to live in analogies so i thought that was a very good reference linda also makes reference to everyone shedding which i also can relate to significantly she calls the family a bunch of chewbacca's which is cute i always like a good star wars reference do you think she loves like Star Wars or just knows Chewbacca? I think if you, even if you're not a Star Wars fan, you generally know the droids and Chewbacca and Yoda. Everyone with a shiny, glowy stick, meh, whatever. But a little green dude, a really furry, walking uh, Bigfoot and uh, sassy robots, you always remember those. That's fair. While they're eating breakfast, uh, Tina after Tina joins everyone for breakfast, Linda takes off to clean out the showers to find any lingering Chewbacca hairs and leaves Bob and the kids in charge of deciding where Grandma and Grandpa are going to sleep. And this is when we get a little bit better of an understanding of Tina, I think. So Tina mentions her night terrors when deciding who Grandma and Grandpa are going to sleep with. She says that she thrashes about kicking and scratching because of a zombie movie that she watched, which is of course the George Romero Black and White Night of the Living Dead from 1968. I was going to say, that one came out in 1968. <laughs> it's funny because we recorded the trivia before we recorded the episode. I like how she mentions that her dreams are getting weirder and weirder because of her uh, subconscious fears and her budding sexuality. I love Tina's language. like <laughs> It's some of my favorite. Uh, Gene mentions that his room smells like farts. Ultimately, what's decided is that Tina gets to sleep by herself. Jean and Louise will share a room, and Grandma and Grandpa are going to sleep in the fart room. Bob is very excited about that because it torments his tormentors. He mentions, too, that he's hoping that it will make them leave sooner, which is a pretty good strategy. There's a comment, too, about Tina being tied down, and one of my favorite quotes is, leave my lips free. <laughs> <laughs> Oh She's so weird, but just quirky and adorable. You know, the nice thing about those kids that I really like is that they're just unapologetically themselves. Like even in the weird, awkward puberty phase, which we all remember, for me, it feels like a billion years ago. I remember just liking things that I liked and people either liked it or didn't. You know, it's weird that it feels like a million years ago for you because you don't look a day over 21. Are you going to make this joke every single episode? Yes. Do you have any funny stories from being an awkward teenager with puberty, going through puberty? No, uh, I always had trouble sleeping. So a lot of my energy and focus was of trying to get a good night's sleep. I get where Tina's coming from where she's tired all the time because she isn't sleeping well because neither did I. But you didn't have 
uh, sexy, creepy zombie dreams. No, I think my brain was struggling too hard to have any kind of dreams. That's fair. So we cut to Bob on a ladder because he's going to try and fix the leak. And everyone around him is moving a mile a minute, knocking the ladder basically at every single opportunity. Which, (laughs) funnily enough, it super reminded me. We don't have a very big kitchen in our house. And so it's like anytime one of us is like doing something in the kitchen that's important, like cooking dinner or doing the dishes, grilling up a burger of the day. The other person's like there in your way. They're like getting a drink or a freezy from the freezer or the dog is there in the way. While Bob's up on the ladder, Linda mentions that Gene has history homework to do. And Gene says he only has the title. History, a blast from the past. But that's all that he has. And he wants a full report on his desk by five. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Because Linda asks Bob to help them. And then Bob's like, I'm not going to write your report. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this really cute moment between Bob and Louise that I really like. Where Bob is like, obviously grumbling about Gloria and Al coming. Louise asks, why do you get so mad? Do you hate them? And Bob's like, not them, just grandma. I don't hate her. Just the, sh- the, just the sound she makes. And voice. And things she says. It's like an unsexy Yoda. (laughs) Lady from Florida, Yoda. The scene cuts to Bob on in the attic and where he finds the hidey hole. My parents' house also has an attic hole leading up into the attic that you have to get a ladder to get up to. Those are always creepy. I like the ones where they have like the pull knob and then the ladder comes spitting out. We always had like the crawl space. So it's kind of like the the Harry Potter space under the stairs kind of thing. Ah, the torture closet. The torture closet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So Bob ends up in the hidey hole, which he didn't know existed and is like wandering around calling out. Uh, This is when we get the first look of Tina's bedroom. First learn about her obsession with horses. Indeed. There's there's some horse statues and her horse poster up there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It leads to one of my favorite lines of the episode uh, where Tina says, are you in the wall or my horse poster? And then she whispers very quietly, please say my horse poster. And I think this is where you get a really good taste of, you know, the first episode, Bob says all of his kids are terrible at their job and that he'd fire them, but he loves them. And you know that Bob loves them because he whinnies. He makes little horsey sounds behind the poster just to kind of mess with Tina, which I think is cute. It seems like all the messing with each other is at least coming from a place of love. And I think that's what resonates with me is because they poke fun at each other. And my family is very much like that. Like my brother, every time I saw him, until I got my driver's license, he'd ask me, why don't you have your driver's license? I didn't get it until I was 35, but that's besides the point. Uh, And my niece, Danica, in particular, is sarcasm incarnate. I do like that no matter how wet your dinner is, you always tell your mom it's too dry. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? We have sort of like these running gags. And and it reminds me a lot of another show that I really liked growing up. I was a big Roseanne fan, and it was very similar. They were all would make fun of each other. And yeah, some of it was meaner, particularly between, say, like Becky and Darlene. But if Darlene or Becky ever needed each other, they were like first up to the bat, ready to fight. So after Bob whinnies, Louise asks him if he's in another dimension. And then... And then Gene asks if he sees a line, witch or a wardrobe, which I thought was really funny. It takes Bob a while to realize that it's a book. By Lewis Carroll. C.S. Lewis. Ah, so close. You did it wrong twice. That's good. Yep. Um, but Gene is convinced that it's written by Salman Rushdie. 
I love that reference. It's like such a weird thing. You'd never think a little kid like Gene would know who Salman Rushdie is. But I did think it was really funny in the sense that when you look up Salman Rushdie, which I did, a lot of his books were based on magical realism, realism with historical fiction. So it's kind of like magic in the real world and I think it kind of plays into a little bit at least of the hallucinations and if not definitely speaks to the theme of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe because it's like a story that happens during wartime and then the kids get transported into this magical mystical realm. Yes, just like uh, in the classic works by Salman Rushdie, Midnight's Children, Shoddy, The Golden House, and The Moor's Last Sigh. You just googled those. Quit ruining the podcast magic. (laughs) And then Gloria and Al arrive. So this is the first time that we're introduced to Linda's parents. Gloria and who? Al. 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 (laughs) She, of course, makes a comment about the pots being everywhere, as Linda foreshadowed very early on in the episode. And Linda yells at Bob to stop fooling around in there or he's going to get stuck. And this is where Bob has his most brilliant idea since the first episode, which is to lie and say he got stuck. If I had secret bootlegger walls in my house, I definitely would learn carpentry and have secret passages everywhere. Like the people under the stairs? Yes. It's a horror movie. Yes. Where this very creepy family has a bunch of children and they live in the walls. Yep, that sounds right. Yep, the main main character or the main kid in the walls' name is Roach. And he looks like he sounds. It's a very so good... So he's lost and he's found? What? Hungry like the road. <laughs> While Bob's in the wall, Al faces the wall and orders a hamburger, to which Gloria gets very upset and says, no, he can only eat turkey burgers. There's no such thing as a turkey burger. So let's ask, do you think turkey, a turkey burger is a real burger? I mean, chicken burgers are probably the same. Do you consider chicken burgers burgers? Yes. I mean, it's funny because hamburgers are generally made with ground beef and not ham. So I do think there's sort of a riddle within a conundrum wrapped in an enigma (laughs) between two buns with special sauce, lettuce, Mm. and tomato. After Gloria shoots down the hamburger, she tells Al to go and read his maxim. And the kids question whether or not that's still in production, which it's not. Found the issue in the the recycling at the condo. And uh, someone asks what's on the cover. And of course, it's the girls with Coyote Ugly. Jean says, I don't even think they're alive anymore. So I actually did some math. So Coyote Ugly came out in 2000. Bob's Burger started airing in 2011. Piper Paraboo, who was the lead in Coyote Ugly. She's the girl from a small town who comes to the big town trying to make a name for herself. So she works at the bar, dancing on the bar, the Coyote Ugly. That's the synopsis of the movie. She was 34 years old in 2000. And so that means by the time the episode aired, she was 45. I imagine for someone like Jean, that basically means she's dead. Do we know how old Bob is? Um, He has to at least be 40. Because in the first episode, when Linda is furiously reciting the things that he's forgotten. When he goes, it was my birthday, and he's wearing like the star sunglasses with balloons, it's one of the balloons says 40. And I don't imagine that Linda would get his birthday wrong. So according to a two-second Google, in (laughs) Human Flesh, the first episode, she's 43, and as of Eat Spray Linda, which is a further episode down the line that we haven't gotten to yet, she is 44. So yeah, they're obviously in their 40s then. So circling back, Bob announces that they need to open the restaurant. The kids are going to be his eyes and hands. I mean, I guess the pro to this episode, the kids being involved, is Tina no longer has an itchy crotch. But he does think all of his kids are terrible at this job. So maybe he didn't think this through properly. It sounds like he doesn't think a lot of things through properly. <laughs> things just kind of happen to him. That's fair. 
Bob is a reactionary man. Uh, the kids make the jokes that they're already down at the restaurant. And uh, another great line that I, that stood out for me was Gene saying, I'm turning on the grill right now. Beep boop. And then Bob announces to Louise what the burger of the day is going to be, which has never been feta, which is, of course, a play on words for never been feta. Better. Though I'm sure Louise has a better feta idea. <laughs> Well, she has an idea. You might want to say that she puts her foot in her mouth. Or she wants to put her foot in someone else's mouth. Oh, yikes. Yeah, so it's the foot feta-ish burger. One of the things I do like about when Louise changes the board is that you can see that she smudges the chalk. So you can see the smudged chalk in the background. And when Bob writes them down, they're like so neat. The board is very clean. Just like little, those little like details that I really enjoy. Yeah, they put a lot of thought into this show. Bob, it comes downstairs and sticks his hand through the mail slot or some sort of a slot. Looked like a vent that he knocked the grate off of. That makes more sense. And he sticks his hand through it as if to wave and Gene high fives him. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like the, this has some pretty spectacular like Gene moments, uh, which I really enjoy. Gene's like, Gene's probably one of my favorite. Uh, and Bob, Bob hands Gene his pee in a can and says, you're my pee guy. Every kid's dream is being his dad's pee guy. Oh, he immediately passed that off, though, so it's fine. <laughs> to Linda, yeah. And then we get introduced to Teddy. We hear Teddy on the phone talking to Bob. He calls him Bobby when he shows up. He goes, hey there, Bobby. And while he's up sort of inspecting things, this is where he starts talking about the prohibition, right? And how restaurants and other buildings would have, like, these secret pathways to get into the bar, right? Because prohibition alcohol was restricted and cops were super on it all the time. 1920 to 1933. Tenney mentions that he had an uncle who owned a speakeasy during the Prohibition. And his uncle's name was Swanky, and he had a special drink called the Swanky Panky. There's some some foreshadowing here that I do really like. Tenney mentions to Bob when Bob is very insistent in staying down in the hole. Like, no, Teddy, don't get me out. I'm fine down here. Teddy's like, no, man. I know a guy that hid from the police once, and he went bonkers, Bob. Good foreshadowing. They found him eating a two-by-four and dressed in copper wire, which Bob immediately takes off a yeah. copper wire crown off his head. Yeah, the visual is Bob is playing with like a little copper wire doll and has made himself a crown. And so once Teddy says that, he immediately takes it off, which is very good. Do you think Teddy fixes the roof while he's up there? Oh, that's a really good question. Because we never see the water pots again. That is below your mind. Yeah, a little bit. No, because he just, he charges Bob for a consultation. Ah, all right. And I love that too. Teddy's like, I gotta charge you for today. And Bob's like, what? You only just stood around and talked. And he's like, yeah, but my therapist told me if I don't value my time, nobody's going to. What a great piece of advice. So then we cut to Bob with a video camera in the walls. Doing a real Blair Witch thing. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good movie reference for sure. And he references Coochie Coopy. Coochie Coopy. I know. Coochie Coopy, the uh, Louise's nightlight, who becomes like a... A little Jiminy Crickety down the line. Oh yeah, I like that. That's a good way of looking at it. Things get a little sultry, if you know what I mean. Sounds like Al and Gloria are grinding some meat. Oh. <laughs> Ow. Everyone can hear Al and Gloria having sex. <laughs> My first thought is, why are you having sex in one of your grandchild's bed? And a very small grandchild bed at that. And also, it smells like farts in there. Nevertheless, they have sex. 
and Louise and Jean are uh, tucked away in Louise's room. And so you get to see Louise's room for the first time. Uh, and you get to see all of her collection of anime stuffed animals and like weird looking things. She's got like a cool collection of kind of scary but cute toys. You know, I'm sure there's a word for that that I'll Google later and find out. Uh, Post-recording Google search indicated that the word we were looking for was adorifying. That is all. Carry on with the episode. You know, my, my family, they tried. Me and my brothers got into anime things and card games and stuff like that. And they tried. Bless them. I don't think they were as consistent as Bob is once he gets the name right for Kuchikopi. And he's very good about calling it its proper name. Well, him and Kuchikopi. Kopi get extremely close in this episode. Don't we, Mr. Bob? Yes, Mr. Bob. <laughs> An outside protein, Mr. Bob. <laughs> so Louise mentions that she's not going to take care of their baby if, if they don't use protection, which I really like. And then Jean, in all of this wonderful weirdness, samples it, which uh, we get to enjoy later. On Tina's side, poor Tina. Actually, poor all of us, because Tina's scene is kind of horrific. Uh, so you see Tina in bed dreaming about her zombies. In fact, there's one zombie to start. A second shows up and she goes, oh, double trouble. And then the zombies start making out. And it's gross. I hated this zombie love scene. Mm-hmm. Not not to yuck anybody's yum, but yuck. It's the seeing the tongues like poke through the holes in their cheeks and like get yeah. stuck sometimes. Yeah. Again, I'm with you. I don't want to yuck people's yums, but boy, howdy. Um, And then she's like, why do you sound like my grandparents? And then basically is sitting up uh, for the rest of the night rocking in her bed. That must be horrific for a teenage girl. Like, obviously is having some sort of a... Hormone-induced issues. Yeah, like she's having like a wet dream or a very like arousing dream. And then to have it be interjected with the sounds of your grandparents. I have to say, like, really good for her for finding a way to work past that. (laughs) And then we cut to the next day. And we see the grandparent sex aftermath where they're laying on top of each other in Jean's bed. We cut to Tina. Tina is still rocking in her bed. Oh, we see... Bob sleeping on the the insulation with the newspapers and Linda's in bed by herself. Don't touch fiberglass insulation with your bare skin. Well, it is bad for you that's... and it hurts a lot and it gets in your skin and doesn't go away. And that's why he puts the paper down. He uses that as a blanket. Oh, Bob. Cuts to we get our first view of uh, Wagstaff. Actually, before we get to that, I do want to mention really quickly because I think it is worth mentioning. Um, the person who does Gloria voice. Does it sound familiar to you? No. Sounds familiar to me. The voice of Gloria is Renee Taylor. Some people might know her better as Sylvia Fine, who was Franz Fine's mother in The Nanny. Did you ever watch The Nanny? Only the intro. That's how she became The Nanny. Honestly, for sitcoms, probably one of the best. I really enjoyed it. And Fran Fine was a fashion icon. I wanted to make sure I added that because Sylvia, like, her voice always stands out to me. And the reason I brought that up is because I also wrote down that we first get introduced to Mr. Frond, uh, who's voiced by David Herman, who's known, a really well-known voice actor. He's in Futurama and a bunch of other shows. And he does the voice of Marshmallow, who we meet in later episodes, who is one of my favorite Bob's Burgers characters. So Wagstaff. Seems like a pretty normal-looking school. You know, the stairs leading up, big brick building. Exactly what you picture when you picture elementary school. Pretty much. And we cut to Dean in his classroom. His teacher, I don't think, is ever referenced again The in the series. I'm pretty sure she's changed halfway through the series as well. 
Yeah, that's true. And uh, Gene has to give, give his book report, which by the look of him, it seems like he forgot to do it. History, but yeah. Oh, yeah, his history report is he plays the sex remix. This is what it sounds like while my grandparents are having sex. Because they both existed during the Prohibition. <laughs> which the poster behind him says 1920 to 1933. It's true, there's also a suffragette po- poster, which I appreciate. We don't spend a lot of time in school. That's pretty much the only scene to start. We cut to the seance where Louise is hanging out with a bunch of her friends. Again, none of whom I think are in later episodes. And I don't, um, think, I don't think they're friends after this seance. <laughs> That's probably true. She probably wants nothing to do with them after this. In the seance, uh, Bob kind of plays along. Louise says her dad's dead. But she can still hear him. And uh, they're encouraged to ask him questions. The two questions that come out are, are you the ghost from the movie Ghost? Are you the ghost from the movie Ghost Dad? And my favorite part about this scene is Bob gets increasingly frustrated by the questions. Like, what? This is what you're going to ask a ghost? Makes me want to eat your souls. And then the kids run out. My favorite is that is the first time Louise is hugged by her ghost dad. <laughs> That's good too, yeah. There's a nice moment between Bob and Linda too, where he's, you know, beckons Linda over to the air vent and says, let me put your hair the way that you like it. And then he starts petting her hair and then she coughs. <laughs> Just like, like her mom. Mother. And Bob is not happy. Says, what are you going to say next? No burgers, go read your maxim. I think he over-exaggerates a little bit. It's just a noise. Our partners all make noises we don't like. Yeah, then he's a little bit mean after that. Yeah, he calls her Nagatha Christie. She gets very upset. This is when Gloria and Al decide to stay another night. Bob immediately tries to find his way out. Immediately tries to find his way out. We cut to Gene getting detention. And then (laughs) Bob gets stuck. And... He has to admit to Linda that he was faking it. You know, when he's stuck, it seems like he's not that stuck. You don't think so? Like, he hit his head on a very small pipe twice and called himself stuck. Like, there's a lot of space there that we saw from the overhead view. He does have to try and pull himself out, though. He's overweight. (laughs) As Gloria mentions, right? And as Bob mentions in the first episode. I mean, it does take a lot of upper body strength to do, like, a pull-up. Yeah, but if he can pull himself up to hit his head on a pipe, I'm pretty sure he pulls himself. So you think he's doing it deliberate? I think he's in a rush and a panic and not thinking clearly, and then the lead pipe to the head probably didn't help. You think the lead pipe plays into any of the hallucinations that Eason has later? You know, I, I want to say no. I just really hope he's a real, like, fanciful kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Linda tells Teddy not to come and tells Bob to have fun in there, <laughs> which is very spiteful. And honestly, I have so much respect for Linda for that because she basically spends the day having to entertain her parents, take care of the kids, and run a restaurant just so he doesn't have to spend time with Alan Gloria. It's a very, like, selfish Homer Simpson-y thing to do. We would call us Jerk Bob. We cut to the next day where Bob is talking to himself. He's recording himself. Mentions that he wants to take a deuce. Yep, three days without a poop. That is rough. It's true. You know, I poop like twice a day. Three days without it, oh, I'd be having real messy pants. Do you think the kids wouldn't help him out? Like give him a garbage bag, toilet paper, sponge? I'm, I'm sure if he asked for it or thought about it, he's in the throes of hallucination and hysteria at this point. He has hit the panic switch and is flapping about like a chicken with his head cut off. So much that he actually starts having hallucinations. He thinks he's covered in spiders. He mentions that he got a, like a deep splinter. 
And then he faints after seeing a little bit of blood from the splinter, I assume. And then he's talking to Kuchi Kofi and says that, You understand me. And then it cuts to him sobbing. He's going through the stages of grief. And then we go back to Mr. Franz's office, where we get to see two of the greatest posters ever created. Spectacles and Hop on the Self-Esteem Boat, which I both really enjoy. Um, I, I thought it was Self-Esteem Engine. Yeah, you sure did. You sure did during our trivia portion. Yep. I don't I don't understand why, but Mr. Frond agrees to help Louise summon the spirit of her dad. It, it might be a grief thing. Like, he's trying to support her in her time of need. I mean, I guess. I mean, I'm a therapist, and I wouldn't do that. But he's also a bad school counselor. He's kind of a bit of an idiot. And then uh, what we're looking at is Bob hallucinating. Bob finds a door. He walks in, and it's a speakeasy. He's and, really excited about a speakeasy. Yeah. You don't drink, so you don't get it. I mean, I don't really drink either, but being in a space bigger than... How long is... How big is that hallway, do you think? Three feet wide. Three feet wide? Not even a five foot by five square for, like, D&D combat? Oh, they're, they're house hallway, maybe. I mean, like, between the walls. So, yeah, so he walks into a speakeasy, which is nice, because now there's an extended period of space for him. Behind the bar is none other than Kuchikopi who asks Bob what he will have. He wants the best bootleg hooch. Kuchikopi calls him Mr. Bob and goes, I bet you would like to use the facilities, Mr. Bob. Go number two, Mr. Bob. So this is like a very clear and obvious reference to The Shining. The Shining. The Shining, if you don't want to get sued, which is interesting to me because I've actually been to the hotel with the Shining is based off of. In the book, it's of course, it's called the Overlook Hotel. But in real life, it's called the Stanley Hotel. And it's in Estes Park in Colorado. Last time I went and visited a friend of mine, we actually drove up there and did the ghost tour. So Stephen King stayed there with his wife and the place was basically empty. Like he mentions when they were eating in the dining room, it was basically just the two of them and all the other chairs around the tables were like up. So it just was like, they're the only two people that exist. And that night they stayed in room 217, which on the tour they point out. And he has a dream about his three-year-old son who goes by the name Joe Hill, who's actually a horror author as well. He has a dream about his son getting strangled by a fire hose. And that's what kind of burned the Shining, which was this idea of this hotel being more than just a hotel. Was it busy when you got there? Yeah, there was lots of people there. Yeah, the, the book and the movie must have really sent that hotel to the moon. Well, the funny thing is, is that the original movie that Stanley, Stanley Kubrick did wasn't even filmed in the Stanley Hotel, which is really what Stephen King wanted. They filmed it at another hotel and then filmed a lot of it in Los Angeles. And Stephen King was so unhappy with it that in 1997, he like helped fund a miniseries that was actually filmed in the Stanley. There's a really long-winded Overlook story, but I think it's worth referencing because it's a clear nod to the, the Shining. You know, after Bob gets his hooch and has a sip, it flashes back to him going... Really close to his pee can. Do you think that was meant to imply that he had a little sip of his own pee? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm going to say yes. I think Bob drank pee. That's my hot take. We caught to Linda and her mom, Gloria, downstairs. And Gloria is in Bob's kitchen, whipping something up. She's whipping up her own burger of the day. And she wants to call it the Tsunami, which is a great name. I wonder what's in it. It's a, a tsunami. <laughs> it's the ocean. And it, then it cuts back to Kushi Kobe that says, Your mother-in-law is willful. She needs to be corrected, Bob. They are interfering with your business. They are introducing an outside protein, Mr. Bob. What do you mean take care of? 
killed Mr. Bob. Gucci Kobe. Bob is obviously very upset by this. And while he's hallucinating, Tina is obviously very tired because she had to listen to her grandparents have sex all night. So she decides she's going to crawl to the ceiling to sleep like her dad because he would be proud. I mean, I would be. If your daughter crawled up into a ceiling to sleep. Yeah, that's a creative way to solve your uh, unfortunate problem. I mean, she could have just slept on the bench. People probably bug her and whatever. So while she's up there, she can hear the boys changing. And Tina, being a little creepster, goes and has a listen. I think this is very much in Tina's character, but I also find it very problematic. <laughs> and particularly just because if it was switched around, if it was Jean doing it, I think it would be certainly less fun. Boy-obsessed girls is hilarious, but girl-obsessed boys is creepy. I don't think at the time when in 2011 when this was written, they probably didn't think it was as bad as it might be seen now. Yeah, season one of every show has problems. But it is very sort of on brand for boy-obsessed Tina. So then we get to Bob uh, taunting these tsunami eaters in the restaurant by telling them that they're going to get mercury poisoning. Which is true, but you got to eat a lot of tuna for that. Oh yeah, for sure. Like tons and tons and tons of it. And then <laughs> Linda's like, okay, we're going to get you out. And he goes, there is no out, Linda! Uh, and he's still hallucinating. He's talking to Coochie Kobe. It's a whole thing. Bob is in distress. He's got some own Stockholm Syndrome for inside the wall. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then we cut to Mr. Franz's office and all three kids are sitting there. And he brings, when he says that something's a red flag and he pulls out a little red flag. Come on, guy. And my favorite exchange in this is Mr. Franz mentions that Bob is dead. Tina goes, Dad's dead. Louise goes, we were going to tell her on Father's Day. Now we have nothing to do on Father's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Louise, you're terrible. In all the best ways. And then Mr. Franz starts getting panicked and the kids feed into it. Totally trying to egg him on saying, you know, let's get the grief puppets. Let's get the crisis crowns. I have so many things to draw. (laughs) They're chanting that their kid's in crisis. That's what I love about it. These kids in particular, so many times, so many shows, the kids stop being kids and start being adults' voices in kid bodies. Mm -hmm. Where at least these, this trio of misfits are still kids, even in the later seasons. They aren't doing adult stuff, they're still kids, they're still reacting to things like kids would, and there's no debate that they're different characters. It's, It's always them, and they are always kids. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. And like nothing incredibly like super fantastical happens to them. Like in The Simpsons, all like, you know, Bart meets Michael Jackson and there's the whole thing with Bob's Burgers isn't like, go, don't have to go to like those. I'm not saying The Simpsons is bad. I enjoy seasons one through 11. Ooh, that's a hot take. Why? That's a lot more seasons than most people like. Oh, okay. (laughs) The Simpsons, so many fantastical things happen that, like you said, like, I think it takes the kids away from just being kids. Whereas these guys are always just silly, goofy weirdos. You know, like the most exciting thing was they want to go poke sticks at a dead fish or something. So the fire department is going to be called to try and get Bob out of the wall. The kids pull up and are still chanting crisis in the back of Mr. Franz's car. And they're like, why are the fire department here? And they're like, oh, there must have been complaints about the smell. They left your dad in the wall and Louise was part of them. Louise reminds me, she reminds me of Quinn, the shark hunter from Jaws. Just has like these like really fantastical stories, you know, like you can see her walking to her room and doing like the nails down the chalkboard for drama and effect. Being like, I got this scar. See, I got this scar. I got chumped by a shark. You know, I, I got that down too. Luis is clearly the leader of the group, while the other two are kind of content to follow and just kind of do their own thing. Yeah. Where Luis 
initiates the nonsense. A lot of the times, yeah. I think they're just kind of along for the ride, you know, if they don't have to think too much. I think Tina wants her siblings to like her, so she generally follows along. And I think Gene is just up for weird. I think Gene is just a very strange little man. And it still shows that they're all still kids, and they're willing to follow a kid with a strong voice. Exactly, yeah, 100%. And <laughs> Louise yells, don't take my dad out of the wall! Mr. Frond and Linda meet, and uh, they're upset stairs having a conversation and Linda states that Bob isn't dead. Frond asks, your husband's not dead? And she goes, no, he's just aggravating. (laughs) (laughs) Which I love. Of course she's frustrated. She's running the whole show for three days by herself, right? And now on top of that, he's hallucinating. Meanwhile, Gloria has broken into the wall and is running around with a plate of ground beef that's raw, trying to lure Bob out. Bob, I got some ground beef for you. (laughs) Which is kind of nice since Glory is all about the turkey burger so the fact that she's trying to lure him out with something that's not pleasing to her. I like how there's this increasing back and forth between Linda and Fran where he's threatened to call social services. Linda's like yeah and he goes yeah she goes yeah yeah like it just it's this funny back and forth that I really enjoy. And then we get another big shining reference, which is Gloria and Bob bursting through the wall where she goes, Here's Bobby. So he gets called Bobby twice in one episode. I think Linda calls him Bobby sometimes too. When she's really happy with him. When she's amorous with him. Oh Bobby. Oh, now you just sounded like Gloria. That's creepy. Bobby. Uh, so 25 minutes go by and Bob gets, gets to drop a deuce. So again, the continuation around poop is a continual thing. Fron says he's going to go make some calls. Bob apologizes. Well, it's kind of only a half apology because he apologizes for calling her Nagatha Christie. But he's only apologizing because he thinks he could have come up with better insults. And so he brings up Spiro Nagnu. Vice President for Richard Nixon. I didn't know that. I didn't know who he was I googled him while we were watching the episode. Also represented in Futurama as the headless body of Agnew. That's great. And then uh, Maggoty Ann, the best one, which I think everybody agrees, including Linda, is the Secretary of Agriculture. <laughs> and everyone kind of laughs and that kind of lightens the mood. Until Mr. Fraun decides to make a big deal out of stuff. It's true, but Gloria, in all of her glory... Uh, kind of saves the day. I think in later episodes, she becomes borderline abusive. So in this one, she seems a little bit more like a naggy mom, which a lot of us can relate to. But in this episode, she saves the day. Um, she calls Linda the best mom in the world, and she excuses Bob for going nuts because families make you go nuts, which again, I think we can all agree with. And ultimately, what happens is everyone joins in on trying to get Mr. Frong by saying that, oh, I bet the school didn't give you permission to be here today. And the kids go, yeah, we didn't even wear seatbelts. He took us away from learning. (laughs) To which he quickly makes his escape and agrees to not call social services. Which honestly, I mean, any counselor who's not an idiot would look at that and think they're just a weird, quirky family. It's true. There's no clear abuse. There's no black eyes. There's no yelling aside from Bob being a weirdo. But there is still at least one competent parent in the mix. Plus a support network. Well, and like a kid making up a story about their dad dying. I mean, okay, maybe that's a little dramatic. But the reality is kids make shit up. Therapy. Not social services. God, could you imagine me using therapy? Ugh. I'd watch that show. Everyone's standing outside as uh, Alan and Gloria finally make their leave. Gene excuses himself because he has to go refart his room and probably burn his bed. Tina waves to her grandparents and says, see you in my dreams. 
which is mm-hmm. a little cringe. And then Louise and Bob fight over Kuchikopi, because obviously Bob and Kuchikopi have made a pretty strong bond. And that's kind of where the episode ends. We get the uh, end credit music, which is still the Bob's Burger theme song. You know, in the end credits, even with just the Bob's Burgers theme song, it's nice to see them all working in the kitchen and just like a normal restaurant setting. What things look like when we're not in an episode. You know, I would go to Bob's Burgers every day just to see if something crazy was going on. You'd be a teddy? No, I wouldn't be a teddy. Teddy Mort. wants to engage. Morton wants to engage. I would be a back corner booth boy. Have a burger, enjoy the show. One of the interesting things about the episode is the reoccurring gag of Louise changing the burgers starts to peter out. They did it in the first episode, they did it in this episode, and now it happens pretty rarely. Which is kind of unfortunate because I actually really like that gag. But I guess it's also really hard to find reasons for Bob to not be around for it to be changed. But Louise has many other antics that happen. Robot voice. And now it's time for trivia. Trivia question one, and this is for one point, and it's a two-point question. What? It's oh, sorry. Worth one point, but has two points to it. Okay, so the first question. The easy question. It has two parts for one point. Go on. Name one poster and one tool that you would find in Mr. Franz's office. That would be the self-esteem engine for the poster. Mm Mm-hmm. And his crisis crayons. You're mostly right. Self-esteem ship. Your answer was? My answer was the self-esteem engine and the crisis crayons. Crisis crayons is a thousand percent correct. It was crisis crayons and the grief puppets for tools. For posters, there was the for spectacles and hop on the self-esteem boat hop on the self-esteem boat all right can i get half a point for that i'll give you half a point all right half a point i'm on the board (laughs) question numero deuce and again i guess i'm going to keep using that word throughout the episode number two for poops what is the name of teddy's uncle speakeasy and what was the name of the special drink uncle spanky and it was the hanky spanky that is incorrect but you are very close how close it is uncle swanky swanky and it is the swanky panky swanky panky oh i can't i accept my zero points on that one all right and number three and there's a possible six answers there's six answers that I will accept. And I need to get three of them? You have to get four of them. What? Name four movies that are mentioned in the episode. Uh, Night of the Living Dead. That is correct. Movies that are mentioned or movies that are referenced? Mentioned. Because otherwise it'd be easy. You mentioned The Shining. The Shining. Do you want to get sued? <laughs> Not if you want to get sued. <laughs> I know that was more British than Scottish, but I mean, I'm British, so... They're all basically the same. Oh, that's not true. (laughs) I really hope we don't have any British or Scottish fans by the time this airs. Well, you know what? They can message me at (laughs) ultimatetabletopnetwork.gmail.com and tell me the differences if they feel like it. This is the kind of thing that I should know. Yeah, I've seen this episode like five times today. (laughs) That's why it's the hard question. So we got Night of the Living Dead. Yep, that's when Tina mentions her night terrors. The Shining is the the one that is only referenced but not really said. Yep. I got nothing. What are the what are the rest? Alright, so Night of the Living Dead. Tina mentions at the breakfast table. She watched it when she was eight years old. It gave her night terrors, and now she has weird sexy zombie dreams because of her raging puberty. The second one is the movie mentioned from the Maxim issue, which is The Girls of Coyote Ugly, which was a two thousand movie starring Tyra Banks and Piper Paraboo. You know, I'm pretty sure I never saw that because I thought it was a nature, doc- nature documentary. 
I thought you were going to say a naked documentary, in which case I was going to say, yes, it is. <laughs> there are two movies mentioned during the seance Louise has with her friends. Oh, my God. I even wrote those down. <laughs> oh, Ghost Dad and Ghost. Correct. So that is, oh, those, are the, those are the four main ones. I also would have accepted The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which yep. is the Chronicles of Narnia movies. I also would have accepted Blast from the Past, which is a Brendan Fraser and Alicia Silverstone movie. I know it's not really because it's not really referenced but it was capitalized in the subtitle. So had you said that, I would have accepted it. You know, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that one I definitely should have known because I knew it was by Lewis Carroll. C.S. Lewis. Then I'm wrong on all fronts, and I take it all back. <laughs> the first trivia question was going to be, what's eight-year-old Tina got nightmares from watching what movie? And then I was going to ask you for a bonus point. I was going to ask you, do you know what year Night of the Living Dead came out? 1984. That is 1,000% wrong. What is it? 1968. Uh, I knew if I guessed a random year, I might get it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, or George Romero, 1968. All so right. you have half a point to my six. Yep. All right. Speaking of burger of the day, we yeah. cooked up the foot fetish Foot feta-ish burger. It's not what it is. What is it? Never been feta. Sure, that's what it stays. We had the never been feta burger. You cooked it up. The way I cooked that one up, starting with a basic patty, you know, ground beef, salt, pepper, breadcrumbs, egg. When I mixed feta cheese in with the meat itself, did it in the oven, because we don't have an actual grill here. 10 minutes, 350 degrees on one side, flip it over, sprinkle some feta on top, another 350 degrees at 10 minutes. The recipe also called for a little squirt of sriracha and some mustard and mayo mixed in for the bun. And then, you know, your usual toppings, lettuce, onions, no tomato for me, no pickle for me, no tomato for Kim. Yes, pickles for Kim. I did have pickles, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I thought it turned out pretty good. We've got a burger evaluation that we're going to start doing here. Where would you say that you got the recipe for that burger? I got that recipe from the Bob's Burgers Cookbook. You can find that book through our affiliate link for Amazon in the description of the podcast. If you buy that book through us, then we get a little couple of bucks for the podcast and we can spend that money to make the podcast better and better with every episode. The burger valuation chart, uh, we're going to go for 20 points spread across four categories. Category one is umami, which is Japanese for savoriness and also just sounds funny. Umami. The second category is mouthfeel. <laughs> Third category, emotional resonance, of course. And the fourth category is, would you eat it again? What is emotional resonance? Does it draw you back into any core memories? Do you have any Disney moments where the camera zooms into your face? Is it ratatouille? I think everything should be ratatouille. So why don't we start off with the umami? You get five points per category. Where would you rank the savoriness out of five? I think one of the best things I like about us doing this podcast is that rather than just buying frozen patties, you're making the patties, which to me always makes the burger more tasty. I did like the bits of feta in it. I think there was onion in the burger meat too, right? No onion. Just the cheese. Just the cheese, yep. Yeah. There was onion on your topic. On top of it, yeah. Like there was red onion for sure. I thought the burger tasted good. I think overall, I don't think I've had feta very often, so it was nice to try something a little bit different. I really like the mayo, mustard, and sriracha. Like, I bit into it and I didn't realize there was sriracha. And I was like, oh my god, this is so spicy. Is this a spicy cheese? It's not spicy cheese. So for umami, I would probably give it a four out of five. Interesting. I, I was sitting at more of a three. Okay. But I feel like a lot of my scores are lower because I was the one cooking it. So I'm just desensitized to the flavor sensations. That's fair. Also, my tongue is broken. Uh, how was the mouthfeel for you? I mean, a burger is a burger, isn't it? I suppose. But, I you know, my guess would be as long as I didn't burn it, the mouthfeel would be pretty good. 
Yeah, it was definitely cooked really well. The sriracha was very tingly on my tongue, which is good. I'm going to give mouthfeel a three. If I had any critique, I would say I wish the burger was a little bit bigger. A little bit bigger. Because okay. I think I had more bun to burger ratio, like bun to patty ratio. I was going to give it a four myself. I feel like it had good bite into ability. The buns weren't stale. I didn't overdo it on lettuce and veggies. It was a good ratio there. I thought it was a good ratio, too. Did it give you any emotional resonance? No. Didn't draw you back to the old days of nibble and feta as a wee bathroom? <laughs> no. I don't, because again, I don't think I've ever had feta before. Overall emotions, I would say it was like yum yum in my tum. So I'd also give that a four. Generally speaking, it was yum yum tasty tasty. I, I would throw a four as well, because I was... It was a very comforting burger. It wasn't overpowering. It wasn't an explosion in my mouth. It wasn't a party, but it was a, a nice small social gathering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like just spicy enough. I do think when you said the ratio of toppings was really good. I think all the flavors worked really well together. It wasn't just like a I'm eating food for the sake of eating food. It was a hmm, this is tasty. And out of five, would you eat it again? Uh, I'm going to give that a four also because I probably would. I was going to throw a three on that. It was fine, but it wasn't one that uh, I feel like I would cook for myself again. Scoring up the points on that one, we're looking at a red hot 15 for you and we're going to throw down 14 for me. So solid scores. So thank you for joining us for episode two of License to Grill. I hope you join us again next week for episode three. For a quote of the episode, nothing wrong with a man enjoying his crawl space. I'm turning on the grill. Beep boop. There's nothing wrong with a man enjoying his crawl space.